You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole and so excited to be here. It feels magically wonderful in here. I don't I don't know about you, Christy, but I'm just I don't know. I feel like anything could happen if we cross this wall. Yes, fallen stars could be captured. They might look a little different than you think. Yeah, I mean, who knew they looked like Claire Danes? Yeah, no, not me. I thought it was just a big ball of gas, but apparently it's a woman. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pumbaa to everything you is gas. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) well, we are going to be talking about uh, the film Stardust that came out in 2007 uh, based off the Neil Gaiman book. And we're going to talk all about it. But before we get there want to say thank you for joining us here in the 602 club i uh, really appreciate everybody who's listening um now uh if you would like to help us out we would love your help if you're listening to this show and you haven't just go over to wherever you're getting your podcast and make sure you're subscribed that way you get the show as soon as it drops and then if you're listening on a place that allows you to give reviews like apple or spotify or one of those places yeah, rate us and give us a review. Um, and uh, especially with Apple, we can read those reviews and we read them out on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter uh, so you can interact with us. Twitter account at the 602 Club. Uh, of course, we're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. Uh, and then you could find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. There's a listeners only discussion group there that you can join and talk to listeners from all over the world. Uh, you could also check all of the podcasts out at trek.fm and you could also go to the contact section and send us an email if you'd like and last but not least i want to say a huge thank you to our social producers here through patreon we really appreciate their support ken trip davis grayson ryan Millett, and daniel noah uh, supporting the network for so long here they make sure that the 602 Club keeps coming to you through Patreon. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can become part of the team. And honestly, we could use the help here as we're hitting our stride again now in 2022. Um, and it's just, you know, it's really expensive. Um, and so we'd really appreciate your help. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm. So, Christy, I did mention this is based off a book that was actually first a DC comic series, uh, and then Neil Gaiman turned it into a book, and then finally got turned into the movie. So, you know, before we even got into anything else, did you have any experience with either of those versions before we got to the movie? No, actually, I just found out recently that it was based originally on a comic book that started the whole thing. But um, I did hear that it was a book before, and I'm familiar somewhat with the style of Gaiman's work. Um, and definitely as a geek, you know, know a lot of people that are big Neil Gaiman fans and go to see right. his panels every year at Dragon Con. <laughs> well, stuff about yeah. him. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, he he's done so many things, obviously, um, very famous for his work on The Sandman, uh, the DC Comics series. And so I was not surprised to actually... F- 
Well, and in some ways, I guess I was surprised because I didn't know this was a DC Comics story. Um, but the fact that he had done one for them it did, made sense because obviously he had worked with them with Sandman. And so, um, but very interested to find out that he had then adapted this into the book. Um, and then, of course, you know, becomes the movie. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's really interesting because anytime you're adapting something, um, there's going to be a lot of people who know the original and and so coming into this i was completely free like i hadn't read the comic series and i hadn't read the book um and honestly what's most interesting here is that the director matthew vaughn is they're kind of looking at making this into a film um it had kind of a long development process this and you know idea of creating basically a new fairy tale uh, that we would see on screen here, he definitely acknowledges the fact that they made changes from the book because the book apparently was quite adult in nature, even even more so than this movie, with mm-hmm. some really uh, apparently a lot more sex and violence kind of presented, as they say, like unflinchingly, which I was like, ooh. Um, <laughs> so I-, I wanted to ask you, you haven't read the book, I haven't read it either, but when you hear that, that th- this book, is quite different from the book are having seen the movie are you kind of glad that they went the the direction they did here then with the film yeah because i think sometimes we have lived in a world where lately especially it's like the more you can push the envelope into the violent and the sexual and the dark um the better and that's not necessarily better Mm -hmm. you know and i think that sometimes it's nice to have a film that leans a little more toward PG and it's definitely possible with this story as obviously you can see if it's based around being a fairy tale you can just kind of subtract the crazy bits <laughs> and uh and make it a little bit more wider audience mm-hmm. friendly yes no i i agree with you um and you know I remember people who had read the book and I had some people who had say that they had liked the movie better actually because of the changes that had been made in the sense that this movie is very fun. It has a lot of whimsy and humor and yes, there are some more adult themes in it and there's definitely some more like adult type jokes um, and everything, but you know, in many ways, and I think Neil Gaiman kind of compared this idea uh, himself, the the story basically being a fantasy version of It Happened One Night, which has Clark Gable in it, very famous movie from the 19, 1934, which mm-hmm. I love. And this is that, you know, and, and I think putting that in a fantasy context was very fun and you know, Neil Gaiman's really good at mixing lots of different types of things from fantasy. So it feels like the marriage of Matthew Vaughn as the director, as well as, you know, the source material from Neil Gaiman, actually, I feel like it it made a good marriage. Yeah, I agree. I think that it was good that Gaiman was able to admit he was okay with the changes because he actually said apparently that, you know, he realizes books, if you made word for word into a movie, this would have been like a 10 hour mm-hmm. movie. And he was like, so right. clearly you can't do that. So you have to compress it somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and and I I liked that too. Like, and and I thought this was actually really smart of him because I was reading as well. And Gaiman said, you know, he because of his work in comics, he it allowed him to be able to say, you know, the book and and the comic even, you know, it's like the different universes, you know? And mm-hmm. so the movie is kind of like the Earth 2 version of Stardust. And so I, I think, you know, that's a, you know, from a from an author's perspective, really, I think, very astute and very, I just kind of grown up way of feeling about it, you know, not to be hurt or whatever. And I mean, he legitimately gives his blessing for the movie version, um, mm-hmm. you know? So they obviously worked well together to be able to create this and i think um you know matthew vaughn would go on and do things like uh, the kingsman and and the king's man um and those type of things um he's he's definitely somebody who uh is very good with um the kind of irreverent humor and that kind of stuff irreverence is kind of his game in many ways mm-hmm. and i think that also just felt like it married well with the material that we get. Yeah, like it gives it a a different kind of life, I think, than maybe Mm -hmm. the feel of the book would have, especially with it being a little more dark and a a little bit more with the sexual side of things. I think that when you're trying to translate that, that you Mm -hmm. need to have someone who understands how to make it feel that whimsy that you're talking about. You know, Sure. I I mean I got a question for you. As, as I was thinking about it, it almost feels like and Shrek is more an adult film in the sense that it's rated PG, but this feels like the adult Shrek in the yeah. sense that like if we legitimately made Shrek for adults and and we're going for the PG thirteen rating, this is what we would get. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good comparison actually because I I immediately think of a. Uh, the song with the little puppets that says, um, what is it? Wash your face. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's an adult yep, joke. Exactly. Kids don't get that joke. Yes. Yes. So. No, 100%. Um, well, and of course, you know, kids weren't getting half the jokes in the sense that you've got, you know, all of the um, the different movies that it's referencing. And, right. And, you know kids aren't really going to get those so no 100 i i I don't know it just it it does uh i'm surprised i hadn't thought of that before but (laughs) it's it's really kind of what it is and so i one of the things about this movie too that i think is really interesting is the fact that it is so jam-packed with people that we know um it is is a very packed cast um, for the most part, it's really well-known people, except for Tristan, who is played by Charlie Cox, and at that point, really wasn't a household name at all. I mean, this is way before Daredevil. This is any for any of that stuff. Um, but I mean, you know, you got Claire Danes and Michelle Pfeiffer and Mark Strong and Robert De Niro and Rupert Everett and Ricky Gervais and Sienna Miller and Peter O'Toole, Ian McKellen's your narrator. Mm-hmm. I mean, Henry Cavill's in this movie, even though it's not like a part that most people probably even recognize him in. So, like, it's crazy to me that they were able to get all of these people to be in this movie and a movie that only does like okay i mean it's not like it blows the 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 socks off of anything at the box office at all mm-hmm. um 
I mean, this is really his only second film to direct, but man, this is an incredible cast. It's interesting. You know, usually I would say, and maybe I'm like a lot of people, but I always hesitate a little when I see that a movie that's coming is going to have this many well-known stars all in one film. Because you wonder, well, who is going to capture the focus? What's the goal here of having all of these people? Or is it just they're all going to be working together in unison? And I think that it ended up working well for this movie, but it might not have. Um, There's definitely people that could steal the show. Michelle Pfeiffer, I think, for me, Mm -hmm. and Robert De Niro. But it didn't turn out that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe it's a good opportunity to kind of talk about some of those bigger stars then. You know, Robert De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer here both play pivotal roles. But I think, like you said, they don't they don't overshadow everything to the point to which you lose your other characters or stars that right. are in the movie, which I think is really important. Um, no pun intended. And so I, I I mean, Robert De Niro, though, I'm, I think probably does give it the standout performance here because it's so against type for him. And that's the thing that makes it kind of genius is because we're so used to him playing the hard nosed character that you would kind of be afraid of. And really, he's the pirate with a heart of gold. Yeah. Well, and I mean, he shows it a whole different kind of pirate that could possibly have been out there. You know, I I feel Mm -hmm. like I thought in the past, possibly Captain Hook might have been gay because of the way that he dressed in the, you know, flouncy, beautiful jackets with the frilled edges around the wrists and things. But um, I thought it was a cool way to add that kind of thing in a natural way. And then also it didn't ever feel like he was overacting. Mm -hmm. It felt genuine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the beauty here is that you see Robert De Niro can really play anything. Yeah. And, you know, he, um, like you said, there is there is a real naturalness to the way he plays this. And I think what's kind of strange about it in kind of a beautiful way is that he is the one who kind of sees things for what they are that other people can't see here. And he's kind of the one that helps pushed them in that direction especially Tristan mm-hmm. you know and so and he just he does it so well and then on the other side you know Michelle Pfeiffer is just so good at playing wicked and evil um you know there's there's a part of her catwoman in here and you know she's just reveling in getting to do anything and everything evil possible um and enjoying it Mm -hmm. you know like that she gets pleasure out of harming people and you know like it it it, which seems weird to praise somebody for being able to play that but she does it with such panache that you it's hard not to enjoy what she's doing yeah she is incredible in pretty much everything but here i think she does pull it off so well with that feeling of just pure evil but It's like, I guess the best way I would describe her character is she probably said, I'm going to play a witch who's fed up with everyone. (laughs) She's just fed up. She's had enough. (laughs) And then, you know. I mean, she doesn't give two goats, you know, uh, about (laughs) she really doesn't. (laughs) 
So, yeah. And I, and I love the way that, too, she has kind of the whimsy with her character where she's playing off of she's transformed one guy into a girl and transformed a goat into a man and is pretending that man is her husband, lovingly named Billy. Yes. Well, and that man happens to be Mr. Weasley. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> from the Harry Potter films. So, yes. So, yeah, she was great. And I love that they then add that the other witch is so terrified of her, sort of like she's like the queen of witches of the realm or something. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I really enjoyed about this whole thing is that and and part of that goes to like specifically with her character and the witches here is it it feels so much like all the other fairy tales we have kind of condensed into one you know with mm-hmm. you know, all of the evil witches that we've met and so yeah i mean she's she's just so good at playing this type of role um and so absolutely uh, and i have to say too you know this is a great movie to kind of really introduce us to Charlie Cox in, I think, a really cool way. Um, I love him in this movie. I love his progression from, um, you know, kind of like lovesick teenager, basically, to man in the story. And he's very charismatic, especially when he finally kind of comes out of his shell a little bit. Mm-hmm with the help of of Captain Shakespeare. And he, yeah, he's just really good in this movie. Yeah, I think that they show, too, that with his career, Charlie Cox was clearly an undiscovered at that point and then mm-hmm. proved here that he could do some things. And he definitely really does pull off that adorable boy next door that really wants to impress the girl in the beginning and has a complete mm-hmm. change of heart and time to experience something different and grow up a little bit. And then also just have a, a male role model to kind of help him along the way. Um, you know, I love that you mentioned as well. It's also about Tristan's journey of becoming a man and about learning what that means, that that it's not about going and amassing a lot of wealth that it's experiencing the world and it's growing in who you are and learning what matters to you. Yeah. And, and being your own person instead of allowing people to tell you who you are. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you said it, the, the narrator says this really is a story about Tristan becoming a man mm-hmm. and that, and I, I think what, makes this such a fascinating story in that sense is that it is Captain Shakespeare who helps him become the man by taking him under his wing, helping him learn how to fence, which nobody else would really uh, help him do in a way that he could learn. We, you know, we learned earlier that he was never very good at fencing school. We learned that from Humphrey, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But it's by somebody taking the time to, lean into training him to giving him the encouragement he needs to helping him figure out what it means to become a a, a man which accepts who you are and and as well as like takes risks you know and so yeah. i think 
And again, what makes this interesting is that you do have a character that wouldn't traditionally be the type that you would expect someone to pass on manhood to someone, right? Because of the fact that they they make Captain Shakespeare gay, you know? And so but feminine it makes as well. For, yeah, yeah, and so fe- feminine, right? And, and yet, I think that also breaks type there too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what's great here is that none of this is about um, trying to lean into really any type of stereotype with any of these characters, especially with these male characters. It is about kind of just letting them become who they need to be. And I I really liked that, you know. Um, and I think what's cool is that Tristan has somebody who takes the time very patiently to train him, uh, to guide him, and then kind of to open his eyes to what's right in front of him. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. You know, the, the fact that they take the time in this story to call out what the story is about and then to allow the story to actually do that, I thought was really cool. Yeah, I actually thought of um, specifically the scene where Captain Shakespeare is doing his hair and he talks about, you know, I feel like I should be this um, rough and tumble guy, but that's not who I really am. So, you know, I'm not really sure what to do. And, um, you know, um, Tristan agrees with him and says, well, you should just be yourself. And I love that they have Yvain chime in and go, yeah, who wouldn't want to do that? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and and that is, I mean, that is a really big part of the story, which is is to live a life that's authentic, right? Right, and um, stop trying to be what everybody else wants you to be, um, and to be authentic, and it is that who you are, um, and and at the same time, like you know, I. I think one of the the cool things on top of that becomes this whole idea of what is love, right? Yeah. Um, this whole story is also not only about Tristan becoming a man, but the whole story is also about what it means to actually love and what love is. Because, you know, Tristan thinks he's in love with Victoria, but he's really just blinded by the fact that she's beautiful, she has this social status, mm-hmm. and in many ways he's supposed to love her, right? Because she's the most beautiful girl in the town. And, you know, he thinks that she loves him if he'll just be good enough. You know, like he mm-hmm. has to earn that love. And I, I mean, the beauty of this movie is about it being about that you shouldn't have to earn the love of somebody who's going to love you. Right. It should be unconditional, sacrificial love um, and people who bring out the best in one another in that love. Right. Like that's a completely different type of thing. And th- I love that that is really what this movie is all about. Or like how Yvain even tells him what's she doing to prove her love for you. This isn't a one-sided thing. If you want to be in love with somebody, it shouldn't just be that you're going out and doing whatever you possibly can to impress them and make them happy. They need to do the same thing. So I, I thought that was a really beautiful thing that mm. they had her add and and the whole gist that, you know, 
it's not about buying someone's love with gifts or with making sure you have enough money or, you know, all of those things. None of the material is what matters in that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because in that, what she's really saying is that love is somebody choosing another person Mm -hmm. regardless, basically, of what they're giving you. It's not about this transactional relationship. It's about this um, transformational relationship, right? Yeah. Like love is about working towards the best for another person unconditionally and sacrificially in love. And that is not a feeling. That is a choice that you make every single day with that person, Mm -hmm. which I enjoy about the movie is the fact that Yvain is proving that to Tristan by being willing to go to Victoria and help him win her if that's what he wants because she, of course, doesn't realize it for a lot of the movie, but she loves him, right? Mm-hmm. She's willing to do that. And it's not just about her getting her freedom. She continues to choose that even when she realizes that she's the one who's in love with him. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really something that's uh, interesting about the film as well is that we actually see that play out in multiple different ways in the movie. Absolutely. And I like that they also, I just wanted to add, um, show the difference between Yvonne has this innocence and purity about her that is really, I think, the thing that also wins you over against, you know, when she's compared with Victoria Um because Victoria is only about what's in it for her and not about what she could sacrifice for someone else. Whereas Yvain mm, has no experience, you know, being in love or anything like that, or mm-hmm. um, even knowing really what she wants. But although at first her meeting Tristan in the beginning is not going very well, she realizes that he is being there for her, protecting her, and Mm -hmm. is a good person and that's how she starts to then fall in love with him well and and the the beautiful thing about that is too is you you know you when you think about it and and she says it you know she has seen what true love looks like from watching it Mm -hmm. you know we can pick up what that looks what it really is and what it isn't by actually watching it play out with people and I, i do think that that's really cool and i mean too you think about this like Tristan's father is also a representation of this who takes care of a child who just shows up on his doorstep and he encourages him to be not what other people want him to be but to be himself like he is a father who um you know never got to be with the woman that he ended up loving um and just continually, sacrificially taking care of his son. Um, And, you know, I mean, when you think of what that sacrifice is for his father, that he never can go back, you know, to the other side of the wall to find her um, because he has a son to take care of. You know, I just... It's just neat that the movie spends some time with these different characters not telling us but showing us so that when it does have a moment where somebody says something about the love it's and what love is 
it is already worked to show that to us kind of over and over again. Mm -hmm. And the, the constant references of how different people have sacrificed for someone else that they love. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. And I think, you know, one of the things that you know, we we're talking about, and I think one of the, the things that makes this movie so good, you mentioned the way Claire Danes plays Yvain and how she is this very innocent character. And there is something just so utterly charming about her in this film. And I was just reminded as, as to, you know, uh, Claire Danes, oh my gosh, you know, she's just not in enough things. Um, but she was, she's so good in this movie. And it's the chemistry that they have together that makes it so wonderful. I mean, mm -hmm. the scene, like when um, he pulls her into the bushes, you know, to hide, it's just electrifying what's happening in that scene. Um, and she's just, she's so good. She's so good. Yeah, I'm with you. And that scene, actually, it's funny. I remember when I um, first saw this movie, that was one of my profile pictures on Facebook, I think, <laughs> because that was when Facebook came out. Um, yeah, it, their chemistry was something that was also really important to the production. Um, actually, I, I remember reading that the director said, I have to absolutely make sure that the role of Tristan is the right person to play with her because otherwise a lot of this doesn't work. So yeah, I, I think that they hit it spot on with making sure someone that they cast for him had chemistry with her because she was already established at that point. Um, and yeah, she does bring this beautiful lovableness to that character that then plays out as believable for someone who you're trying to, understand how she could be a star and then become personified is kind of a weird thing <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah no it it is but I, I think there's there is something about the way she plays the role and maybe it, it just something down to claire danes herself but what you need from her to feel, I mean, and it's not just the special effects where they literally are making her glow, but the moments when they're dancing and when they're closer or any of those things and that glow is happening, her smile and everything about her just radiates. And it's not just the CGI that's making her radiate, right? Like, yeah. there is something like joyful about her in, in the way that she's playing this role to which makes that effect feel real like feel like you could actually see that happening in real life you know almost and and that takes a special type of person to be able to do that and yeah i mean she just she is just ridiculously good and fun and beautiful and all of those things in this in this movie and them together they create this this couple that you do you know want to see together and so mm -hmm. I, yeah i I loved her in this film. And I, I actually, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. I haven't, haven't watched it in, in a long while, but I was like, Oh my gosh, just love Claire Danes. So yeah. Yeah. The other big thing that stands out to me in this movie and that I thought was so funny when I first realized what was happening was 
the brothers that all want the throne of Stormhold and that they're all named the Latin version of whatever order they were born in. That's pretty funny. That just cracked me up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I like that you bring that up because, you know, they're a big part of this story and they really drive home. I mean, pretty much everybody in this movie is driven by greed except for Tristan and then Yvain, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's what they both really want is love. Everybody else is just trying to get something, you know, and and take something greedily for themselves and really at the expense of others, even if it costs other people their lives. Like, you know, the brothers, I mean, it's funny that they're killing each other, right? But they're literally killing each other so that they can be the one who's king the same way their father had killed people, um, you know, so that he could be king. And it's just... It's plain for laughs, but when you start to think about the reality of kind of what's happening in the movie, it's like, wow, that actually is really dark. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I definitely, the first time I saw this, was surprised that they had the king say the same as I did with my brothers. I'm like, yes. wait, no, you're passing down the tradition of killing your siblings? That's terrible. So, it, yeah, I, I'm mm-hmm. glad that they're able to somehow play it off with the comedy um, because that does work and it lessens the severity of the situation. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you think about it too much, you're like, that's sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, I mean, it is kind of the perfect juxtaposition of the idea of what is love and greed. Like the the opposite of love is greed, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and in many ways it's kind of that Star Wars thing, right, of, you know, um, holding on to something with an attachment that leads to greed, um, that leads to possession, you know, that's not what it means to love. Right. To possess something. In fact, love, true love is unconditional and sacrificial. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, and I, I really like that. And what I, I, the one thing I kind of wish, and I wanted to ask you about this because, with this idea of greed, I I really picked up this time that, you know, Tristan's mom, who has been held by this witch, it really seemed to me that she has a son on purpose so that it's raised outside her father's very cruel house mm. in the hopes that he will be different. And I was picking that up, and I just wanted to ask you if that was something that, you know, you saw as well, if I was just maybe reading too much into the movie. I actually think that's a really good observation that may very well have been intentional in the writing as well. Um, I didn't ever think of that, but I think that that's a great idea. I mean, and if she also has powers, then it could be possible that she could determine the gender of her baby. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, she's a Benny Gesserit then, I guess. So, from <laughs> Dune. So, right. But no, I, I, it was just something that it seemed to make sense as to why, you know, she would pick Tristan's father mm-hmm. to, you know, be the person that she would basically seduce to, you know, because he's from the outside. Child. Because he's from, yeah, from the outside, right. And um, and he seems to be a very kind man. 
mm-hmm. you know, and the complete opposite of everything that in the household that she had been raised in. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it was something that was really interesting and it was another layer it felt like to, you know, what you see um, in, you know, the uh, the king of Stormhold uh, and the way that he's raised his kids and what he's done, you know, is, is yeah, really interesting. So, mm-hmm. well, and I did love to, um, I thought we should just mention a couple of the side characters, the fact that they've brought Ricky Gervais in here. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought he played a good, um, you know, swindler in the market kind of character and the interaction that he then had with the witches. And I love the negotiation he has with De Niro about, you know, uh, am I hearing 200? You said 200. I didn't say that number. (laughs) It was great. Yeah, no, they really put to use his comedic timing. Um, And I think the, the beautiful part about it is, is that like they keep him, it's just enough. You know, it's right. not too much. Um, and on top of him, then I, I mean, I almost didn't recognize Henry Cavill with that mustache right? and that light colored hair. He does not look right. <laughs> I always wondered that that guy looked familiar to me, but I wasn't sure why. And then when I looked it up, I was like, that is so weird. It it does not look like him at all, even though he then later gets the mustache in Mission Impossible Fallout. It just the hair color with the mustache, with the hairstyle and the fancy mm-hmm. costuming is just so different. So I, I think it's kind of cool, though, to not have him as like the lead role, um, especially right compared to his experience at that point versus Charlie Cox's acting experience at that point. Yeah, I I think you're right. Um, I think it really works to to have him in this role. And you know, I one of the things that is great about Henry Cavill is you know he can play somebody who's wonderful, um, but he can also play a real jerk very well. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, um, yeah. And 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 in all honesty, you know, he wasn't really. Uh, you know, he had been in like the Count of Monte Cristo and stuff like that, but like he wasn't a household name at this point. You know, this mm-hmm. is this is years before uh, he'll be in Man of Steel and then, uh, you know, Superman and then in Fallout and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, Witcher, which we love. So, yeah, I mean, very different. But no, they have some great side characters here. Um, you know, I think Sienna Miller plays Victoria perfectly, who's just this vapid narcissistic annoying girl that you're like why are you even chasing her because she's horrible Mm -hmm. yeah it it speaks volumes of her in the grocery store scene where he loses his job because she distracts him and then gets him to take her home yeah so yeah yeah. she's awful yeah she's awful um I i so you know one of the things about the movie is the fact that um, you know, when you're creating this type of film, you're going to have a lot of effects here and it's 2007. So this is before, you know, I think unless you're spending millions upon millions upon millions of dollars on your budget and your effects. I wanted to ask you how you felt like they hold up kind of rewatching the film at this point. Surprisingly, the effects hold up pretty well. I think 
it easily could have gone downhill, especially with the ship scenes going through the sky with catching the lightning. But I think that the lighting of the scenes, choosing to kind of do it during a storm anyway, helps them with that and kind of disguising things better. Um, and I think it looks cool, especially when they have the green flames creating things. Um, the glow on Yvain looks fine. I think that there's definitely worse movies with the effects that we've seen for sure. Yeah, I, I think that it's not a movie that's going to blow you away with right. what it's creating effects wise. But I think what the movie does do, it films in a lot of locations, like actual locations. You know, they they went and filmed in many places in England and Scotland and even some in Iceland. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, a lot of the location places that they are at are actually real. And then, of course, they're digitally altering them in certain areas. Um, and I think the beauty of that is that I don't really care that the effects aren't amazing. They're fine, mm -hmm. but they're not amazing. And part the reason I don't care is because I'm enjoying the performances, uh, especially of Charlie Cox and especially of Claire Danes together, that I'm not, I don't really, like, it. whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. It just, I think that there's something special about that. And, and, and so when you can overlook any flaws in that way, I think you've done your job because the movie is more about the people like, yeah. and, and that's what you care about. Exactly. I, I think that you said it because you really focus so much on the relationships in the movie. And I think too, it helps that it's a fantasy that you kind of forgive a lot of the effect stuff that might've bothered you anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, Heck, even the ghosts were done well. You know, I love that you could clearly yeah. tell how each guy died based on their ghost's attire or, you know, how their head is facing or, you know, the guy with the axe in his head. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right that, you know, I really enjoyed the ghosts. I thought they were funny and the effects on them were funny. Um, you know, again, part of the what is just... The performances make whatever effects are happening, I think, work. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the thing. Like, and and so, if you've got that, that's really all that matters. And so, yeah, I mean, just rewatching the movie like that, I, I was I was really enjoying it. And I think I like it, but I do kind of wish there was an even more memorable theme. Uh, I I think that. Um, Ilian Ashkiri, who does the music here, it's good. I think it fits the movie for the most part pretty well. Um, I do just wish that there was kind of that, you know, when you think about fairy tale type movies, having a really like memorable melody mm -hmm. is important. Um, and I wish this one had a slightly more memorable melody to it. But I still enjoy the music and I think it's a lot of fun and I, I think it, you know, adds to most of the scenes that they're they're using it in. So 
And it's great, too, how they even bring in some classical music. You know, I love that yes. they have yeah, I the, like that. the music playing during De Niro's dance with the fan <laughs> when Septimus walks in on him um, was so funny. And it, I think you're right, though. It would have been better for it being a fairy tale if it did have a theme like that that was so recognizable. I, I guess I think of stuff like Never Ending Story, where that's a theme that I can hum right now. And then that also makes me want yeah, to go back yeah. and rewatch that movie. And this needed that to put it over a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I like that you pulled that out. Absolutely. No, that's a great example of where a thematic work uh, and a piece of music is so iconic that it, especially in the fairy tale genre mm -hmm. that it just, you know, and I can even think of like, when you know we talked about um the dark crystal and it has a really memorable theme to it you know yeah. so like there there are these things out there and it, it's just one of those things where i just wish it had been a little bit better in that sense but hey it's okay and it doesn't really detract from the movie all i'm saying is it basically just what it added more to the value of the film i think because when you have like great performances and music, again, that's another thing where it's like, yeah, the effects don't have to be masterful, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, The Princess Bride is not masterful in its effects. Right. But we remember it because of the music, because of the performances. All of that covers up the fact that it's a movie made in the 80s that still has very low-budget 80s effects. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Was there anything else that either stood out to you about the film, especially in rewatching it, that you either really liked or maybe that you didn't this time? Mm, I guess the the other thing that stood out to me that I, I do like about this movie, that's it's a smaller thing, but it's funny to me, is the way that they have not just one witch, but they have Michelle Pfeiffer's character of Lamia have two sisters. Um that also have names that came from other works by Gaiman. Um, Impusa, mm -hmm. for example, is one of them. And they really remind me actually of the witches from Macbeth. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. You know, I can see that. And I, I was actually reading too about how the castle that they live in, which I love the effects actually of that scene leading up with the cliffs and the waterfall. And then it's at the bottom. Um, it was designed after the look of the Hall of Mirrors in Versailles. Oh, nice. On the yeah, inside. That's really cool. But they just replaced mm -hmm. um, the gold with silver and then darkened everything. Mm. So That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's... No, I, you know, you could definitely tell that they put a lot of thought into this. Um, I think even the fact that, you know, they found a, a small town... Uh, in a really old small town to kind of use as the streets of wall really mm -hmm. helps to, again, they they did a lot in this movie to where they weren't having to do as, uh, as many effects when they did things like that. Um, so absolutely, I think uh, there isn't really anything, honestly, I would say that stood out to me in a bad way with this movie. I just... I think rewatching it, I, I just really enjoyed rewatching it again. And so I guess 
in that, I'm really interested to see where you come down on your ratings. So it's hard to think of things that I don't like about this movie, although I would not say it's a perfect movie. I do reserve that for the absolute best of the best things that I can't find any fault in whatsoever. But I think that this is close. And so I give it a four out of five green flames coming out of my fingers because (laughs) it's got a lot of fun stuff in it. And then at the core, a great message. And although I think it's still a little bit scary for maybe like kids that are younger, um, I think that it could have a lot of the same lessons of something of like princess bride once they get a little bit older, Mm -hmm. um, to teach, you know, about how to live and what's important and what's important when love is what you're after, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, with the cast as well, this is something that I do own on physical media and often revisit. So yeah, it's a four out of five for me. What about you? It's interesting because when I looked back at this movie after I watched it and then went back to Letterboxd and I had rented it, I'd rated it a three and a half. Hmm. And I think it, it's gone up. It, it's a four. Yay. I'm right there with you. This is a solid four. And I, four fallen stars for me. <laughs> um, and because you can't have enough Claire Danes. Um, but no, this, I, they're, like you said, it's like they're, I think the only thing really that would make the movie better is what we kind of talked about in the sense that I would like a a more memorable theme. And yeah, I mean, obviously, if the effects had been even better, it it can only make the movie better. If you'd done those things, I think it really would have upped its game and maybe just given us a little bit more on Tristan's mother. Yeah. That's a good point. So, but otherwise, I think... I think this is a a really fun movie, a great movie, and and it, heck, it is on Netflix right now, so you can watch it, and it's totally worth it. But yeah, I, I like you. I'm going to highly recommend it to everybody. So, and speaking of recommendations, it's time for that on the show where we give what we want to recommend to everybody this week. So, Christy, what do you got? So, the thing I'm going to recommend. This time is something that's um, outside of the fiction genre. And I actually discovered because my sister shared it with me and now have just fallen in love with it. But um, it's a woman who is a chef as well as a mom who does comedy online. But then also her profession is that she's a chef. So a lot of the comedy is about either her life at home being a mom or about her love for food. But um, her name is Eden Grinspon, and she is Jewish and uh, goes by the name Eden Eats online. Nice. Um, but she was actually trained at Le Cordon Bleu. Um, her husband is Israeli, so a lot of her dishes that she makes and that are part of her cookbook, Eating Out Loud, are related to being um, the wife of an Israeli man or things that she ate while she was over there for a while. So, yeah, I just think that she's really fun. And she and her sister, Rennie, did a lot of really funny videos, um, especially during the pandemic. So I highly recommend checking out Eden Grinspawn at Eden Eats. And 
trying some of her recipes from her cookbook because she taught me how to make a Persian dish I've never made in my life. And it was delicious. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I I definitely enjoy discovering new food and stuff. So that is awesome. Um, I'm going to recommend to everybody. I am reading a book right now and it's already fantastic. And I was inspired by trying to learn more about, um, you know, the behind the scenes of 1883. And I've had this book for a little bit and I finally decided to read it. And it takes place before that, but it's about some of the first pioneers in the United States, the ones who were um, settling the Ohio territories um, when that was still considered the wilderness of the U.S. (laughs) And it is phenomenal so far. David McCullough, who um, is a really good historian, wrote um, John Adams and many other books. Uh, this is I'm I'm about a third of the way through it, but I'm I'm going to recommend it because it's it's so worth it, and it's just phenomenal to read these stories about these people who are just literally going into the middle of nowhere and creating something. It's just. So cool to read about their experiences and how they got there. And so I highly recommend this because I, you know, watching that show has been pretty amazing. But to kind of like see what life was like for people doing this, I mean, we just have no concept of that. And it's good to be remembered of where we come from. So I'm going to recommend The Pioneers by David McCullough. But Christy, if uh, people did say, you know, wanted to catch up with you, see what else you've got going on, where can they follow and find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell, and then also occasionally in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And when I'm not here with Matt, I also do a show with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabers and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network, Skynet. So I hope you'll check that show out as well at Sabers and Spells on all of your social media platforms. And you could find me on social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, and all those type of places. Uh, you can also find me here, of course, uh, in the 602 Club feed. Same one. John Mills and I do Snyder Cuts as well as Assembling Avengers. So look for those bonus episodes. And then I'm also doing on the network Literary Treks, The Orb, and Warp 5. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise, and The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, i got a couple of shows. One is a completed show I did with Drea Kaufman called Owlpost. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then the aforementioned John Mills and I also do Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast. So if you love Star Wars, that is a place to be. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, are you here? Mm-hmm.